lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. everyone it's rabbi mel i'm here i'm back it's been a long week and it's going to be an even longer week and you know why because uh if you live on planet united states uh by the next time you hear my voice we're going to have a new president and what's going to happen then Uh, that's what i want to talk about on this show, what's going to happen after we elect a new president? So, uh, two introductory thoughts. One is that half of America is going to be in mourning. Half of America is going to be grieving their loss because their man or woman, their candidate for president, did not win. And trust me, it's going to be, it's going to feel just like a life loss or a pet loss or a divorce. It's going to feel awful. Why? Because we've been in this game for about a year. This campaign has been running for almost a year. And we've heard all kinds of things good and bad about each candidate and one of them's going to win and one of them's going to lose and i would claim that the one who loses it's like a life loss second introductory thought i had was we have to heal somehow because you know from listening to me for almost a year now That when somebody dies, if we want to move on, we're going to have to do something active to move on. You cannot just wait for time to pass because time doesn't mean anything. In and of itself, time just passes. It doesn't help. It doesn't hinder. It just is. Well, actually, that's not really true. If you don't do anything... You just let time pass after the death of a loved one or any other kind of loss, then you're really hurting yourself because you continue to carry that person that you have lost on your shoulder until you lay him gently down and you're able to move on. Remember what we talked about a long time ago, and that is that When somebody dies, life is turned upside down when you don't deal with the death. Uh, So the one who's dead is still alive because you keep them alive in your heart. And you, your soul, is deadened by their loss. So the ones who are living are deadened and the ones who are dead are still alive. Well, 
we got this election that we're going to have to figure out a way to heal from because, again, half of America is going to be grieving a loss. So I wrote this um, blog piece, which some of you might have read already, either on my Facebook page or on the uh, VA Press Pass, on the Voice America Press Pass. I'd like to read it and discuss it with you because I have a radical suggestion for healing America after the election. So let me begin. This election is almost over, and we Americans are so exhausted. That's the first connection. I didn't write that, but I'm saying it to you. That's the first connection between the death of a human being and the death of a candidate in the, in the upcoming election next week. Because when your loved one is dying, you're in the hospital or you're in the hospice or you're in the rehab institution taking care of them. And it is exhausting. You know it and I know it. And we do it because we love them. And we do it because that's what we were taught to do. And we don't want anybody to die alone. So we spend all day long visiting them, doing whatever we can do for them, all the while knowing there's not much we can do for them. And we spend the whole day with them and we go home at night and we're exhausted. And then what do we do? We get up the next day and we do it all again. We go back to the hospital, we go back to the hospice, we go back to the nursing home, wherever they happen to be, and, and we do it again. And we take care of them and it's a good thing we take care of them. But we are exhausted. That's how America is right now. We've been taking care of the sick patient called America and make no mistake, I believe it and you believe it. America's sick right now. America's wounded. America is, is trying to move forward but doesn't know how to do it. So we have listened to for the past year different visions of how America can heal, and it's come down to the last week. And, and we're going to vote. You better, you have to vote. Don't tell me you're not going to vote. I remember in New York, there used to be a, a men's store called Barney's Boys Town. It was where every Jewish boy in New York got his bar mitzvah suit. Then Barney's Boys Town became Barney's and Adult men could buy their clothes there, too. I don't know if it's still there. I think it is. But so you do what you have to do. Okay. This election is almost over, and we Americans are so exhausted. We have been involved in the most egregious and disgust-creating campaign in modern history. We have been bombarded by long-winded speeches and mind-numbing debates and over-the-top news commentators 
telling us what it all means. And the truth is that most of us already decided three to four months ago, or even earlier, for whom we were voting. So I have a theory, you know, uh, ever since Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were became the nominees for the office of president of the United States, I believe that 40% of Americans knew they were going to vote for Donald Trump and 40% of Americans knew they were going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Now, most of my friends and I don't like either one of them so much. Uh, they're both imperfect. They're both wounded. They're both, they have pluses and they have minuses. But we already decided, 80% of us already decided who we were going to vote for four months ago. So Mel Glazer, the cynic, says that the whole campaign, the whole year of campaigning, all these speeches and all these news commentators and all the media and all the stuff we read online has been to convince the 20% who don't yet know or didn't yet know for whom they were voting. That's what I think. Now, the two candidates and their parties spent a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort, and they are to be honored for that. They worked very hard, but they only worked hard for the 20% undecideds. You and I knew who was going to get our vote. So, and the truth is that most of us already decided three or four months ago, or even earlier, for whom we were voting. So all these words were a waste of time. And yet we could not pull ourselves away from the media. It was as if we were drawn to a medieval duel between two aggressors who would be happy to literally destroy the other. And it was a duel with no end in sight. And we were hypnotized, you and I. Every night, you and I watch TV. We watch the news. We watch the latest wisdom come out of the box and so that we could better understand what we didn't really need to understand. Because whatever we learn from the, you know, from the different networks just fortified our decision to vote for whom we had already decided to vote for. I continue. The worst part of all this is the demonization between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. If you would believe them, only they were the perfect candidate. Their opponent was a mere undeserving pretender to the title of president. Oftentimes, I thought I was listening to two third graders argue in the playground, except that in that case, Either an adult would come and give each of them a timeout, or one would physically lash out at the other, and the right punch would end the problem. But at least it would be over quicker than this past year. 
And all the time we were thinking, couldn't the Republican and Democratic parties come up with someone better to run for the highest office in the land? I have um, rabbi and normal friends who say that we're going to have to vote for the lesser of two evils. You're going to have to hold your nose and vote for somebody that you really don't like a whole lot, but he or she is better than their opponent. So I say cynically, you could say it differently. Instead of saying you're going to vote for the lesser of two evils, I say you're going to vote for the evil of two lessers. Uh, that's not supposed to be a joke. It's supposed to be a realistic understanding of the elections and the two candidates. Nobody offered me the nomination. I would have run. Don't you think I would have made a good president? I talk well. I don't get angry at anybody. I don't call people names. I apologize when I make mistakes. It's very interesting. You know, both of them made horrible mistakes. You know it and I know it. I mean, if you listen to Donald Trump, you'd think he never made a mistake in his life. And yet we found out through video and through other reports, you know, that man's got problems. So does Hillary Clinton. We learned about her, her hidden emails that she didn't want to release. We learned about her pay for, uh, play for pay with big companies, Wall Street companies, that then gave her big donations after she gave lectures. So, you know what? Neither one of them is perfect. And for me, the worst part was that nobody, neither one of them could say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I'm human. All right, let me continue. Is it our fault? Did we create this debacle? Perhaps, but at least it's almost over. And that's the point. It's almost over. Next week, we will have a new president of the United States. Whoever loses is going to be angry and hurt, as well as disappointed. It will almost be like losing a loved one. It will be an enormous loss to them and their hardworking supporters who have given so much to the cause. What will those who have lost so much do to put this behind them, to move forward to the next stage of their lives, to go, as I have said in my grief and healing books, from morning to morning? How will they and we heal so we don't carry our anger and despair with us for years hence? Well, I have a radical suggestion, which I'll get to in a few minutes, but it's based on something that uh, my guest from last week taught us. Our guest last week wrote a book about the Jewish way in death and dying. And some of the whys that we do, some of the what's that we do, and some of the whys that are behind the what's. Uh, 
you know, a lot of people tell me that they were raised in a religion. It doesn't matter which one, but they could never ask any questions. So the priest, minister or rabbi would tell them something. And if they asked him or her, well, why do we do this? The priest, minister, or rabbi would not deign to answer because they were the authority and they would say something like, because we do. And that's not a good answer. It's never a good answer. So those who have spent so much time now taking care of patient America, um, who's this America is going to die and new America will be born next week. And we don't know what, what that's going to look like. But those who have spent so much time, they have to have a way out. They have to have a way to move forward. Otherwise, they'll be angry for a long, long time. So in her book, she explained what you do when somebody dies. And I'm going to take one little piece of that book and I'm going to try to apply it to this election because I think there's a valid connection between the death of a human being or a pet and what's been happening for the last year in terms of losing, loss, and healing. How do you heal from this kind of loss? How do you not take it with you? How do you not live with it for the rest of your life? How do you move forward to the future? Well, I have a suggestion. And after we take a brief little break, I will tell you what that suggestion is. I will teach you some more about what my guest last week said about how the Jewish people approaches the issue of death and dying. Stick around. Don't give up on me. I got an answer for you. I'll be right back. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. 
That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Rabbi Mel, back with you. We're talking tonight about what I have written this past week, which is called A Radical Suggestion for Healing America After the Election. So I've been talking for the past 20 minutes from the beginning of the show about the exhaustion that America is feeling now after spending the last year listening to everything we possibly didn't want to know and more about the two candidates who are running for election, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And I suggested that after the election next week, you know, the next time you hear my voice, there'll be a new president. Uh, After the election, there's going to be a real feeling of loss for approximately half of America who did not vote for the one who became the next president of the United States. And I'm comparing, and I'm going to do more so in a minute, I'm comparing the loss of an election, not only to the candidate, but to all those who supported him or her. I'm saying that it's exactly the same feelings of loss that we have after a loved one dies. And so we have to heal. We have to find out a way. Well, I don't have definite ways, but I have a way of looking at the period after the election that might help. And I've been reading from this essay, so I will go on. Here comes my radical suggestion. In the Jewish tradition, when someone dies, we observe a seven-day period of mourning called Shiva, which means seven in Hebrew. She talked about that last week. Remember, you know, after the funeral, we go back to, to the home of the mourner and Friends and relatives now begin to comfort the mourner. And one of the things they do is to, is to bring food and meals over to the mourner's house so that the mourner, him or herself, will not have to cook, won't have to take care of anybody, especially themselves. And we say that they, ha- they can be a guest at their own home. And there are other things, too. They're not supposed to get up and answer the door 
when somebody comes to comfort them. They're supposed to sit down uh, and be a mourner. So, it's a way of, Shiva is a way of giving the mourners space to think about their loss, to meditate on life, past and future, and to begin to plan what they will do next. We, the family, gather together at the mourners' home. We comfort the mourners. We eat together and we pray together. We do what families are supposed to do. That is, support and comfort those who need it the most. Now, here we go. And as I and we learned last week from a wonderful guest on my radio show, the first three days of Shiva are spent in silence. Silence, that is, the law says, Jewish law says, that if the mourner does not want to talk, you are not allowed to initiate a conversation with them. They control the power of the situation, if you will. They control how this is going to go. Not you, but they. And so, especially for the first three days, they're not supposed to talk. They're supposed to be with themselves, to meditate, to think about it, to review how their lives have changed, the love that they had for their loved one. Their job is to just be, not do anything. And we, the mourners who come to comfort them, we have to understand that. We have to respect the tradition and we have to leave them alone, particularly for the first three days, which as all of you know, are the most painful days after the death of a loved one. I return to my essay. We allow the mourners to process their grief however they choose, without us barging in and telling them how to react. Now, we've talked about that a whole lot. Some say maybe enough, but it's never enough till we learn the lessons. Some people barge in and in, they want to comfort us. They want to say the right thing, but they don't know what that is. Why don't they know what the right thing to say to comfort us is? Because our society doesn't teach that. Kids don't learn it in school. You never learn it in school. I never learned it in school. I had to wait till I was, you know, 30, 40 years old until I learned and I studied and I got a degree and, and I started becoming a grief expert. But most people don't know. And so they say things that are often wrong, things that are more about them than about the mourner. So it's not unusual to say, well, I lost my husband too just like you, so I know just how you're feeling. Well, that's ridiculous. You don't know how anybody else is feeling. 
Sometimes you don't even know how you're feeling, but you certainly do not know how somebody else is feeling, even your close friend. Yes, you know they're sad after the death of somebody dear to them. Yes, you know that they don't know what's going to be coming up next in their lives. Yes, you know that, but you don't know how they feel. Everybody feels how they feel, and you don't have the right to say that. Or, well, you know, you're still young, so you could get married again. Okay, I don't want to get married again. I want to be married to the one I was married to. Or, God forbid a child dies, well, you're still young, you could have another child. Ooh, ouch, that hurts. I don't want another child right now. I want the one that I just buried this morning. So we try to comfort. We're often unsuccessful. So please don't say any of those bad things that I just said. And the worst thing you can say, the very worst, which makes your friendly grief therapist very angry, is if you say to a mourner, God needed him more than you did. I get so angry when I hear that. First of all, because you can't speak for God. God is, if you believe that, God is all powerful. And God does not need your advice. And you don't need to be telling anybody what you think God wants. You don't know that God needs that, that husband or wife or friend or child. You don't know anything about God. Nobody does. We know that God is a God of justice and a God of love. That's all we know. How that comes out in real life, you know, we have lots of questions about that sometimes. Why do the good often die early and the uh, wicked live to a ripe old age. It's one of those questions that philosophers and theologians have been asking for a long, long time. So I'll repeat myself. What's the best thing you can do when you see a friend or a relative who just lost a loved one? You don't have to say a word if you don't want to. You're just being there is comfort enough for them to know that there are people in the world who care about them. So what, what should you do? You should go up and give them a big hug. Give them a big hug. That's all you got to do. Give them a big hug. And then if you have a story about an interaction between you and the, and the one who died, tell them the story. Stories comfort people. You know that. People have told you, people have told stories at funerals. When I officiated a funeral, I want to hear stories. So I always invite people to tell stories about anything that they want to tell about so that we will know the person who died better. Many times I don't know the person who died. You don't either. 
And so the more stories we hear, the more we are comforted and the more the mourners are comforted. So don't talk unless you're going to tell a story. Just give them a big hug. You can say what we've been trained now to say, I'm so sorry for your loss. They say that on every cop show that I watch. NCIS, I'm so sorry for your loss. Well, okay, it sounds kind of monotonous and uh, unreal, but if that's the best you got, that's the best you got. Especially if you didn't know the person that well. So you know what I'm talking about. Okay. So the first three days of Shiva are spent in silence. We give them the permission to sit and grieve alone if that's what they need. And that's such a meaningful, life-giving act. So then I comment, uh, after day three, on day four, days four through seven, uh, other people can draw you out from your pain, from your tears, and other people can begin to talk to you uh, when they when they come see you. And you are allowed to talk back if you like. Again, you still have the power to be silent, but it's not good to be silent for too long because you'll never talk. You'll draw into yourself, and, and that's not good for anybody. You have to live in the world. You have to live in the world. Okay? So, all right. So the first three days of Shiva are spent in silence. And that's my suggestion how to heal after the election. After the election, we go silent in America. That is... We spend time only with our families and close friends, trying not to talk about what has just happened in our country. We stop turning on our televisions at night to listen to what the experts think just happened. We silence all that noise so that we can think about what this means to us and our country. In a nutshell, that's what I believe, and I'm going to try to do it. I don't want to hear what Rachel Maddow has to say about the elections. I don't want to hear about what Fox News has to say about the elections, whether it's MSNBC or Fox News or Bloomberg Network or NPR. I'm just, I'm exhausted. I don't want to hear noise for a while. I want to be in silence about the election. I want to have time to think about what's going to be with America with this new president, whom I may have liked, who I may not have liked. But the fact of the matter is, in the freest country in the world, that's the greatest gift we have. The gift of voting, you and me voting for the next leader of the free world, that is America. We don't have to like them, but we have to honor them. They become our new president for four years. We'll have a new president, 
we'll have a new vice president. And beginning in January, when they're sworn in, we're going to have to start getting used to it. I think we will. But we won't start getting used to it if we don't give ourselves time to just be silent and not to keep listening to the noise every single day and every single night. Because really, at the end of the day, what difference does it make? The winner won, the loser lost. So the winner is going to be the president, and he or she is going to run this country and lead this country like they think it should be led. And the loser is going to have to figure out what they're going to do. I don't know what to suggest. That's not my business. All I'm saying is that they got to figure it out, and we have to figure it out as well. And I'm saying to you that just as we Jews are silent for the first three days of the period of seven days of mourning, so too we Americans should be silent and not depend on the voices of others and the so-called wisdom of others to tell us what it all means. We'll talk some more about it after the break. Hang around. I'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, everybody. Rabbi Mill back with you. I'm talking tonight about a radical suggestion that I have for healing America after the upcoming election. This coming week, we're going to elect lots of new people. In particular, we're going to elect a new president and vice president. Well, the vice president comes with. 
Wouldn't it be interesting if people ran for vice president? That would be interesting, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. So we're going we're gonna to have a new president and vice president. I've been talking about the grief and mourning of the um, candidate who loses and all of the people who have spent the last year working so many hours, days, weeks, months, um, on behalf of that candidate. For them as well, this is a loss experience. And don't kid yourself, it really will be. Because this has filled up half of America's lives um, for a year. And now you can't, you can't tell anybody to vote for anybody because it's all done. So I've been talking about comparing this kind of loss to how the Jewish tradition says we react to losses in our lives. And those of you who were with me last week heard my guest. She was an author, and she'd written a book about how Jewish tradition deals with death and loss and healing. And one of the things that she reminded me was the the period of time seven days after the funeral is called Shiva, which means seven in Hebrew. So it has become a tradition in the Jewish in the Jewish people's lives that families and friends come over and comfort the mourners. They bring food so the mourner doesn't have to cook, and they they um, begin with the first three days, which are the most pain-filled days of not talking to the mourner, of the mourner just remaining silent, uh, that the mourner doesn't have to feel in the first three days, the worst days of Shiva, that he or she has to talk. Because he or she does not have to talk. That's what our tradition says. If they don't want to talk, they have the right not to talk. And you and I, who go in to visit them and comfort them, we do not have the right to try to get them out of that silence. That's their right, and period. So my radical suggestion is that we do the same thing after the elections are over. So after we vote and after we find out who wins, we take three days next weekend and we're quiet about it. And we don't turn on the TV every night to find out all the perceived wisdom from all the perceived experts. Because as I said before the break, at the end of the day, they don't know any more than we do. And what difference does it make why the winner won? We'll find out when we're supposed to find out. It doesn't matter. We're going to have a new president and vice president, and that's the end of the ball game. The ball game is over. Last night, the Cubs won the World Series. You know, um, we didn't have to listen to, we saw it on TV. We didn't have to listen to experts tell us what happened and why they won. We saw it with our own eyes. So I'm, I'm positing the suggestion that just like the first three days of Shiva, the mourner is entitled to be silent with no interruption from any visitor, no wisdom, which usually turns out to be not wisdom, from anybody 
but he or she be given the life gift, the freedom of just being with themselves. And that's what we should do next weekend after the election is over. We shouldn't even turn on the TV. Now, that's not easy to, to do, to suggest. I know that. And you know that. And most of us may turn on the TV. I'm going to try not to turn on TV and look at election coverage. Because I'm not going to be interested anymore. Because I'm going to live, I respect and honor the choice that Americans make. And if it's not my candidate, oh well, that's life. You know? So, we should take next weekend and we should leave the house. uh, Not be in silence, literally, but be in silence about why... The winner won and the loser lost because it doesn't matter anymore. It's like the dead are buried in the ground or their ashes have already been spread wherever they've been spread. So it doesn't matter anymore. It's over with. So let it be over with so we, a new beginning must be prepared for. But you can't start the new beginning until you lay down the last chapter. So I finished my essay by saying, sounds crazy? Well, it makes good sense. There has been so much noise, it's time for that time out that our souls desperately need. After a big life loss like this, we are entitled to be quiet at peace with ourselves, and just think about what it all means. Peace. Now, let me finish um, this show by explaining to you the last word of my essay, peace. In Hebrew, shalom. Well, everybody knows about shalom. I mean, most people, it's in the vernacular. You know, people. we hear people saying it sometimes on TV, on the radio. We read people writing shalom. Well, what exactly does shalom mean? It means, uh, it comes from the Hebrew root shalem, which means full and complete. And the theory is, the theology is, that when everything in this world is full and complete, there will be shalom, there will be peace. Well, that's a nice concept, but what does it mean? Well, I'll tell you what I think it means. I had a rabbinical teacher once who who tried to explain it like this. And he said to us, on a dark night, look look up at the sky. What do you see when you look up at the sky? You see stars, you see the moon, you perhaps still see some clouds, you see uh, all kinds of things um, up in the sky, and by some miracle from God, or whatever force you believe controls these things, they don't bump into each other. They don't bump into each other. You know, we haven't been hit by meteorites. We haven't been hit by falling stars. At least I haven't. 
So that's what shalem, whole, complete means. It means that every star has its own place in the sky. No star tries to harm another star. They live in peace. Each has its place and nobody tries to usurp the place of anybody else. So that's what shalom really means. It means that you and I live on this earth, we live in this world, and we have our individual beliefs and we have our individual ways of acting on those beliefs. So one day, peace is gonna come. What does that mean? It means nobody's gonna bother us. Nobody is going to try to change us. Nobody is going to force us to do anything that we don't want to do. Nobody is going to chase us to change what we believe or what we do to what they believe and what they do. That's going to be peace. When we're allowed the freedom that the mourners are allowed during the first three days of Shiva. That's what Americans are allowed the first weekend after the election. That is, the election is over. God bless the new president and vice president and all those who are elected to serve with them. But it's not our job. I mean, our jobs are over. We voted. Now our job is to live in peace. That is, to not tread upon anybody else, to not try to change anybody else, to not blame anybody else because our guy didn't win, but rather to accept the results of the election and to be proud that we live in a country where power is trans transferred from one person to the next. There's no coups in America. We're not going to have a coup. Somebody is going to win and be the next president, a new person that's never been the president before. And there's not going to be violence, I hope, I pray. And there's not going to be riots because we're Americans. We don't do that kind of thing. We accept happily or unhappily the results of the election. That's why I ended my essay with the word peace. Because just like the mourner is entitled to peace, especially during the first three days following the death of a loved one, so too we, the candidates, those who worked with the candidates, you and I who, who, who voted for candidates, who were forced to listen to all the noise for a year, we are entitled to peace after the election. So that's what I want you to think about. I know it's radical, that's why I put the word radical in my essay, a radical suggestion for the healing, for healing America after the election. Doesn't take us saying anything. It doesn't take us doing anything. I mean, I want to go see a movie next weekend. 
I want to do just about anything. As a matter of fact, next weekend is going to be great for me because my son is getting married. So I'm going to fly to D.C. from here in Colorado Springs, and I'm going to walk him down the aisle. And then my other son, who's also a rabbi, he's going to perform the ceremony. He's going to officiate at the wedding of my youngest son. And there will be peace in our family because we're just going to be happy with each other. And we're going to forget about the elections for three days. And we're going to support my son and his wonderful bride, whom we like a lot. And that will be all we need to do. I can't wait. They picked a wonderful date to get married. It's an opportunity for shalom, for peace, for us not to have to think about all the noise that we've heard over the past year and think about making different noise. Noise of singing, noise of dancing, noise of praying for the success of this marriage, noise of joy and happiness. So that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to thank my kid for picking such a wonderful date on the calendar after the election, right after the election, when he gets married. So I'll let you know about the wedding when I come back. So that's my radical suggestion for you. My other suggestion is I want you to start talking to me. I know it's not easy, but I want you to start talking to me. So email me at rabbimel at griefok.com. Trust me, I check that every single day to see who's courageous enough to send me a message. You, you write me and I promise that I will answer you after I return from the, or before I leave for the wedding. So I want you to be in touch. Tell me what you like about my shows. Tell me what you'd like me to say in the future. First person that gives me a good suggestion gets a free copy of my latest book, A GPS for Grief and Healing. It's been a pleasure being with you. I look forward to next time. Thank you for listening, and shalom. Good night. Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week.